If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 is where we're going to camp out today. Um, if you don't have a Bible or if you uh, forgot to bring yours, we have one there on the pew. And you, you can take that home. Actually, that'll be our gift to you. We're going to talk today about mercy and that mercy is reciprocal. Before we break that down, let's just begin for the sake of context to go back to Matthew chapter 5 in verse 2, or verse 1 rather, and we're just going to walk that through verses 1 through 7 so that we take the Bible in context. And what that means, uh, if you're new here with us, is that we don't just want to come to the Bible and pick a verse and try to look at that verse in isolation, what we want to do is to look at what comes before it and then what comes after it so that we know that we're accurately understanding God's Word. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Seeing the crowds, he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he was set, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive or they shall obtain mercy. What Jesus is getting at here in verse number 7 is that mercy for you and I is reciprocal. It simply means that if we don't give it, we won't receive it. If we live a life to where we want mercy from God, but we're not willing to give mercy to others, Jesus says, if the converse of this verse is that if we are merciful and we will receive mercy, the flip side is that if we don't give mercy, we will not receive mercy. But the question that is in front of all of us today is have any of us actually actually received God's mercy? Because we can't give something that we don't have, right? If we don't have it, we don't have access to it. It is impossible for us to give mercy and to give grace. In order to understand that, break that down, I was, I was thinking about Transformers. Now, not, not the movie, not Transformers more than meets the eye, but just the Transformers that are on the top of a telephone pole. And for those of you that are uh, world-class watchers and subscribers to the Weather Channel, and you sit and watch the Weather Channel in the evening, you watch weather in areas that you don't even live... And you get freaked out about weather that won't come, all right? That crowd, hey, mom and dad, how y'all doing? All right. And so you, you enjoy the Weather Channel. You know, usually they have those loops of the videos that they'll show during a hurricane or a tornado in which a transformer on the top of a telephone pole will blow. And it is just boom, big explosion, blue sparks flying out everywhere. And I was thinking... Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That sounds very positive, doesn't it? Right? That's not a downer verse. That's something that you'd put on a Christian coffee mug, Christian t-shirt. Like, that's one of the verses that we want to memorize and say, you know, this guy, this makes me feel good down inside. Like, this is, a, this is an upper verse. But when you look at the world, there's not a whole lot of mercy out there, is there? And even what passes for mercy today is often just excuses. And that's not mercy. 
So I want you to think about it like this. What is the purpose of a transformer? A transformer takes voltage, extremely high voltage, over 7,000 volts on a line, and it transforms it, it transforms destructive power into something that can be usable. Most of the appliances that we have run on 110 volts or 220 volts. And when you think about 7200, somewhere around that area, and thank you again, David, for letting me bounce that off you. I was like, I totally don't want to give people false information. He's an electrician. Think about the overload. I mean, everything in the house would explode. It'd be kind of cool to watch on a video, but not if it's your house, right? And I asked David about the high voltage, and he said, it's just something you don't want to have your family around. Okay, we all tracking with that? It will take destructive power and a transformer will, will transform it into something that's usable. And the beautiful picture throughout the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is speaking to people that live in a cruel, brutal world. And really, not all that much has changed, has it? Now sure, there have been laws, there have been safeguards, the U.S. Constitution, great. The amendments, Bill of Rights, awesome. But when you look at the, at the world as a whole, there's still so much suffering and brokenness. But what Jesus gets at time and time again is that through the Sermon on the Mount is that God is so powerful and His grace is so real that He can transform what is destructive. He can transform destructive relationships and destructive things that happen to us and our families into something that can be used for the glory of God. And the context here within the Bible, is that mercy is a huge, huge topic. Let me give you several references that are not in your notes. Number one will be Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 21. The Bible says, Blessed is he who shows mercy to the poor. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. The Bible says, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. The Bible says, The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. When we look at mercy, it is a deep, deep aspect of the heart of God. Question. If we were to ask the people that are within your circle of friends and family, describe you, how would they describe you? Would they describe one of the aspects of your character as mercy? Or as far back as the book of Exodus in the Bible, the second book, Jesus says through the Scripture, this is God speaking, saying that I am compassionate and merciful. He's full of mercy. Let me give you some texts in Matthew that deal with Jesus and mercy. Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who have a problem with Jesus hanging out with the non-church crowd. And Jesus says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. Here it is. This is from Psalm 51. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. 
And then in Matthew chapter 23 and verses 23 and 24, Jesus blasts the Pharisees again. And listen to what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now what that was, it was a small way of them giving offerings to God. It was an aspect of the Old Testament law. So Jesus says, you guys do the little things that the law requires, but... You have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? The Bible says in the same verse, Matthew 23, 23, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now this is kind of revolutionary in our society as well, right? That you should give mercy. But in Jesus' society, it was the society of Rome and of Greece and of who was, who was the big man in charge? It was the one who came in, riding at the head of his army, having dragging... I mean, this was the one who went out and they went out to conquer and to give out presents and they didn't have any more presents. Are you tracking with me this morning? They went and they conquered and they drugged these conquered kings and leaders back and everyone would cheer. Great, great, great leader. Caesar and Titus who came after Jesus. All of the, I mean, go back to the Greeks and all of the Greek literature, the heroic age to where all of these, these guys that we make movies about now, Perseus and these Greek heroes, those were the ones that you wanted to be like. But you see, none of them gave mercy. And here comes Jesus, this Jewish carpenter, and he says, if you want to be blessed by God, if you want to be favored by God, then you must give mercy. Now, I don't know if I should do this on a Sunday morning, but I'm just going to test your knowledge of social, um, some movies. Y'all ready for this? Can we have an interactive experience? Some of y'all are still asleep. Y'all all right this morning? I'm going to say the first part of the phrase and I want you to finish it. Are you ready? We're going to do it. Well, this is in the context of what we have been taught and what we, I guess, what we absorb from our culture in regards to mercy. This quote comes from Dirty Harry, Sudden Impact. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. Some of y'all are like, I knew it, but I didn't want to say it. It's all right. It's all right. You're in the midst of sinners. It's okay. We're all, we all come across. All right. Another one would be from uh, Princess Bride. For those of uh, the younger folks, my name is Nego Montaya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. All right. This is from the movie Man on Fire. I'll give you the whole quote. Quote, forgiveness is between them and God, but it's my job to arrange the meeting. And most of the quotes that I looked up in regards to revenge and a lack of mercy, I didn't really feel comfortable sharing on a Sunday morning. Are y'all okay? Alright? This is what we, this is what we absorb in our culture. We watch these movies, Terminator. We watch the Dirty Harry movies. If you like the old school stuff, you got John Wayne. You got, I mean, Clint Eastwood. And here's the thing. We get this idea that mercy is weakness. And if you're taking notes, this is, we're going to walk through these. These are misconceptions about mercy. Most people today believe that mercy is an emotional weakness. In other words, if you're a merciful person, then that means that you're a pushover. That's not what mercy is. Some people say, well, now, Jeff, if we're merciful, then we're enabling people to be lazy. 
That's not mercy. In fact, sometimes what people need is loving confrontation and they need to be called to task and you're not obligated to enable someone to be lazy. Are we all on the same page this morning? That is not mercy. That is cruelty. Some people say they misunderstand mercy as this. Mercy is giving excuses as to why people do things wrong. Some people think this is mercy. Well, you know, the, the reason why, the reason why my son or my husband has done these things is because he's had some problems and he had these things happen. And that's the reason why, why he verbally and physically abuses me and the kids. He's a really nice guy deep underneath. So you see, that's not mercy. Mercy is not giving excuses for when people do the wrong thing. Mercy is telling the truth. Another misunderstanding about mercy is that mercy is opposed to justice. Some people think, you know, if Jeff, if what you're saying is true and we all begin to act in mercy, that means that let's just throw away the civil law. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody goes to prison. Nobody pays a parking ticket. It just, and what would happen, Jeff, is society would totally Unravel. That's not what mercy is. Mercy is not the enemy of justice. Mercy is the friend of justice. And finally, another misunderstanding would be that mercy is an obligation to bail out those who consistently make unwise decisions. Once again, if we love people, we tell them the truth, and it doesn't mean that we have to, I guess, take care of the mistakes that people make time and time again. It is helping them come to Christ. So the power of Jesus is mercy. You see, what we read this verse, Jeff. It's Matthew five seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But how does that how does that manifest itself in the Bible? This is what we're looking at here is the hub, and we're about to look at some of the spokes that go out into Scripture. Number one is the mercy that Jesus speaks of is not just a feeling of compassion, but it's this: it's a motivation. It's not just a feeling, but it's a motivation that moves us to action. There's two words in the Greek New Testament that deal with compassion and mercy. There's one that simply has to do with feelings. Jesus chose the word, and here's how it's defined. Mercy is the way that Jesus uses it. Quote, to feel sympathy with the misery of another, especially such sympathy as manifests itself in actions and in words. Are you like me sometimes? You can see the commercial for the starving kid in Africa. Or you can, well, a couple of weeks ago when Susan gave that great presentation about the needs in India and we saw those, those pictures of the needs on the screen and we were moved for those people, weren't we? Mercy is when we actually do something about it. And we say, you know what? I'm going to put the sticker on my refrigerator. I'm going to put a note in my Bible. I will pray every day for these people to hear the gospel. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a personal goal of mine to pray each and every day or to pray a certain day out of the week that these women coming out of human trafficking would meet Jesus and be able to be trained and be able to find productive work and or I'm going to write a check to support the next mission trip. I'm going to pray that God would send me on the next mission trip. You see, that's actually mercy. Mercy is not just a feeling. Not only that, but mercy that is not moved to action is not true mercy. It's just emotion. Now notice here in Matthew 5, 7, Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are the, mo- are the emotional, for they shall receive emotional blessings. Jesus says, Blessed are those who show mercy. 
That means we actually have to show mercy. Is this deep or is this deep? You see, sometimes when we, when we come to subjects like this, you're like, Jeff, we get it. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But the question for us is not do we know what the verse says, but are we willing to obey what Jesus is teaching? Y'all okay this morning? To show mercy. Another aspect of God's mercy comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, and it's that God's mercy is trustworthy. The Bible says the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Not only that, but if you come this morning, I know we have all sorts of different people here, but let's say just, just for maybe some of you, you're like, Jeff, I, I don't know if I died right now where I would go. In fact, when I look back on my life, there's so much that I'm not proud of. And it seems like I've always had this, this feeling of guilt, this weight that's been upon my shoulders. Like I need God's mercy, but I don't know how to get it. So I'm here at church trying to hear how can God help me? How can God change my life? Well, there's good news because God will give you mercy if you come to him for mercy. And that, my friends, is good news. That he doesn't hold it back. He doesn't say meet all these qualifications. But because God is merciful, he offers us mercy. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy, that means that if we could put a scale on the bank account, bank account of God's mercy, you could not find a number big enough. And if you wanted just a small illustration, you could look to the cross and see how great God's mercy is because of Jesus and who He was and what He came to do. And some of you, you say, now hold on, Jeff, I've made so many mistakes in my life. When the Bible says here about receiving mercy, I don't deserve mercy. Exactly. You don't. I don't deserve mercy. Because here's the thing that so many people never get because pride clouds the mirror. So many people don't get that we have to come to the place to where we realize that we don't deserve mercy. We deserve judgment and we deserve hell. Welcome to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. And a lot of people don't want to teach that today because we don't, we don't want to have those feelings of guilt and of sadness. But here's the thing. In order to have, in order to feel better from the sickness, you've got to realize that there is a sickness and to receive the medicine that the doctor gives, right? I mean, imagine if one of us was, I mean, we were deathly ill and the doctor came in to make an, I mean, an old fashioned home visit and the doctor said, you're dying. You need this medicine. We said, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not good. You know you're not good. You're just saying that you're not good because you don't want to let me know that you have a problem. Each and every one of us, regardless if we've never touched drugs, alcohol, regardless if you've been faithful to your spouse your whole life, every single one of you and me as well, we need God's mercy. Sometimes we take substitutes. Substitutes for mercy. And it goes like this. You know what, God, instead of receiving your mercy, what I'm going to try to do is to improve myself so that I can do better than I have in the past. So if I'm doing better, then what that means, God, is that I now feel better about myself than I did before. I don't really want to go through the humiliating act of repentance 
and giving all my life to you. I just want to feel better about myself. Well, in the end, it really doesn't matter what we feel about ourselves if we go to hell. Everybody still okay? Is that too blunt? Feelings stop when reality is there. And there is a day in which God will judge the world in righteousness. So it's not about what makes us feel good. It's about who is good, and that's God. And He comes to us in love and in mercy, in mercy, in mercy. Not just emotions, but in an active, merciful compassion, saying you have a problem and it's called sin, and I'm sending my son Jesus to save you from that sin. You say, well, what do I have to do? And the Bible says there's nothing that you can do, but you receive the grace of God like you would receive a gift. Just like a little child. Those of you who have kids, grandkids, you know what an awesome thing it is. Y'all tell me, I don't have kids or grandkids yet, but you you tell me how an awesome thing it is to give that child a gift. Something that they've really wanted. I mean, a Lego or a Barbie or a dog or, you know, a fish. and, And you give the child that gift and they're just so excited. They just, I mean, you could go, go look on YouTube. There are people that put videos of their kids getting gifts and the kid is opening up the gift. And by the time, I mean, he just tears the per, the first part of that wrapping paper off and the kid sees it's an Xbox. It's an Xbox. It's a puppy. And the kid starts flipping out and the parents are so overjoyed because the parent's joy is rooted in the child's joy. I love my child. I love my grandchild. I don't want to spoil them rotten. Y'all do know the difference, right? Don't spoil kids because they're a terror to everybody else. Please have mercy on the, on the world and in loving, loving discipline, discipline them and tell them that word. And it's, it's kind of, it's an, it's an old word, but you put your tongue on the top of the roof of your mouth and you breathe out and it sounds like this. No. You know, it's awesome. I think all parents need to learn that and God will bless you because the Bible doesn't say he who spares the rod uh, spoils his child. It says that he who spares the rod hates his child because the parent's more concerned about them than the child. All right, now that we went from happy to really owe me, all right, we'll just move on to the next point. But the point here is, is that you love the child, you want their best, you want them to have joy, and God loves us enough to tell us what our problem is and it's sin and that we deserve or we need His mercy. Not only that, but there's an, a, a verse found in Second Philipp, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, and it has to do with Epaphroditus, who was the friend of Paul, who was ill unto death. He was almost at death's door, and yet God had mercy on him and gave him life. I'm sure if we had time, we could give... Some of you, the microphone, and you could give testimony to say, Jeff, if it were not for the grace of God, I would not be here today. Do you realize that every single one of you, regardless of your age or your health at this current moment, are here because of the mercy of God? Some of you talking to you, the job that you have worked, the construction jobs, the near-death experiences that you have had. Some of you working with things such as electricity, telling stories. You know, I, I fell off the roof. I fell off a tractor. There was this thing that happened at a job. Or there was a workplace violence at my job. Some of you have been in combat in foreign lands. You have had people actually shoot back at you. And yet, the fact is, through all of that... And some of you have even come out of abusive situations. A merciful God said, not yet. Not yet. 
I'm not going to take him home just yet. And some of you, if you can remember very quickly to those times that you almost died, God says, if you were saved, you know what? They've served me. I could let them come home right now and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I've been merciful to them, but I'm going to keep them there. I'm going to keep them there because I still have work for them to do. Do you realize whether you have come off of a so-called deathbed or whether you have had great help your whole life, you're a young buck or you're a young bucket and you're just ready to go, you're ready to serve Jesus, He has a plan for you. How do you know? Because God's in control of everything and His mercies are new each day and you are living and you're breathing right now. That should give you hope. And that should cause you to say, you know what? God has been so merciful to me. Yes, people have shot at me. And they've hit me. Yes, I've had the knife plunged into my back where people have backstabbed me. But God has given me mercy, so I will give mercy as well. This is one of the greatest truths in the New Testament. This comes from First Timothy chapter three, chapter one, and verse thirteen and verse sixteen, and it's that God can transform a wrecked life into a testimony. The apostle Paul says, "Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, in other words, an A one class jerk, but I love this, but I received mercy." Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And in verse 16, the Bible says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. You see, Jeff, what does that mean today? It means that God can transform a wrecked marriage into a beautiful picture of the grace of God. It means that God can transform an abusive situation to illustrate the mercy of God in bringing you through that. It means that for some people, they go through valleys of depression, clinical depression. When Jesus gets a hold of them and they're following Him, it is a testimony that there is no ditch too deep that God can't pull you out of. Amen, church? It is the mercy of God. Say, now, Jeff, how, so I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to forgive and give mercy, but it almost sounds like I'm supposed to pardon people. Like, what if somebody comes into my house, they bust in, they steal my stuff, they injure a member of my family? Am I supposed to say, I forgive you, therefore don't go to jail because of what you've done? No. Listen, listen very carefully. Forgiveness requires us to have the same love towards the person after the offense as before it. But pardon require, pardon is releasing them from the consequences of their actions. Only a judge can do that. We all on the same page here? Just because Jesus says to be merciful doesn't mean that He's scrapping justice. In fact, think about this with me. If you and I have the opportunity to give mercy, we're already in the right. Correct? No, I mean, I I can't give mercy to somebody that I've just ripped off. I'm the one who needs mercy from them. So the fact that we can give mercy already means that we're the one that have, we're the ones who've been offended. Not them. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys for that situation. But we cannot we cannot tell them 
that you don't pay the penalty because that's what the law requires. But what Jesus did, Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. What it means is that Jesus says, okay, all right, they're all guilty. They're all heading to hell. What I will do is I will satisfy both. I will come and I will receive the penalty for all of their sins. I will take their hell for them. I will suffer in their place. You see how all this logically works together? It's a beautiful picture. And here's the thing. If you're, if you're sitting there this morning saying, Jeff, I'm not totally convinced in Christianity or the Bible's true. Go with me on this thought. Jesus satisfied both. He satisfied the demands of the law. He paid the penalty with his own life. And his perfect life, I might add. It wasn't just the cross. It was everything that led up to that. But then once he paid the penalty, he turned around and said, now you all can go free. He didn't turn to the people and say, look at all the stuff that y'all put me through. Did you, did, didn't, didn't you see that? I mean, how can you guys act the way? No, no. He came to Peter after, after all this, after Jesus had, had been raised from the dead and, and he was there. And he asked Peter, the one who betrayed him, Peter, do you love me? Peter was crushed. You see, Jesus doesn't need to give us an obligation. Jesus simply needs to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And when we see Jesus for who he is, that's all that it should take. If you've never been saved here this morning, we're going to get a, give an invitation here in just a few moments to give you a chance to publicly let people know that you're standing up for Jesus and you're ready to get saved. You're ready to live for Him. And the fact that Jesus would give you mercy today, it's not, it's not mercy with an asterisk. It is the mercy of God to save your soul. Jesus gave mercy. Remember when he was on the cross? Who did he give mercy to? He gave mercy to the thief that was right next to him. The one thief said, Father, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man had no hope. And Jesus turned to him and said, Surely today you will be with me in paradise. God's wisdom is full of mercy. James chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He said, now Jeff, you just said that God's wisdom, like God's logic, is loaded with mercy. That doesn't make sense. Because the people that I keep thinking about in this sermon, those names that come to my mind, those faces that flash before the screen of my heart, those people, Jeff, if you knew them, bro, they don't deserve mercy. They're no good. They're untrustworthy. They're lazy. They're liars. They don't deserve mercy. True. Those people that you're thinking about who offended you, they don't deserve mercy. But I want you to answer a question as well. Like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 18. He told this story about the man who had been forgiven 10,000 talents, like millions upon millions of dollars. He went before the king. The king said, pay up. The guy said, I don't have any money to pay up. The king said, sorry, we're going to have to sell you guys off, you and your whole family, to pay your debt. And the guy said, please, 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 show mercy. Give me mercy, please. And the king gives him mercy. And then the guy that, this guy, this, the servant guy who'd just been forgiven, who does that? God does. Who forgives a debt of like millions upon millions of dollars? This guy walks out and he goes, some of y'all know the story. He finds the other guy who owes him like 20 or 50 bucks and grabs him by the throat. I mean, this is like UFC before there were rules. And he grabs him. He starts to crush down on his throat saying, pay me what you owe me. 
He had forgotten that he had been forgiven. You see, when we say these people don't deserve it, we have to look in the mirror and say, do I deserve God's mercy? The point of this message is that mercy is reciprocal. If you don't give it, you will not receive it. And what I've experienced in in my short life is that so many people in church that I've talked to will tell you, I'm not going to forgive them. Well, if that's you, you shouldn't be surprised that God hasn't used you. You shouldn't be surprised that you wake up on the wrong side of the bed every single day. You shouldn't be surprised that the lenses that you look at the world at are so filled with bitterness you can barely have a conversation without fighting with someone in your family. You have to come to the point, this is basic, profound Christianity, to where you see yourself as having offended God, as having sinned against Him, and If you've been saved, you've been forgiven. You've been given mercy when you deserved death and hell. The fact that we're alive right now is evidence of God's mercy. You see, Jeff, what does that, how does that relate to this? It relates in this way. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15, for if you do Forgive others their trespasses or their sins. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, God is saying that mercy is reciprocal. That if we don't give mercy, we will not receive it. And throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, Jesus' ministry, there were people who would come to Him. People who couldn't walk and they would say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus had mercy on them. If we've truly received God's mercy, it should transform our lives so that we do intentional ministry and evangelism. If you want to take notes, it's in Matthew chapter 25 and verses 34 through 36. Jesus says, with those who don't even have enough money to clothe themselves, right? The ones that are in prison. The ones that, the ones that are in the hospital. The people that are without social mobility. The ones that Paul says in Romans chapter 12 to associate with the lowly. Shame on us if we simply associate with people, quote unquote, like us. If Jesus had had that same mentality, would he have ever come here? No. If we have received mercy, then that means that when we see presentations such as India, when we talk to middle class people at our work, People who have jobs, who have cars, people who have families, and we see them and they think that everything is fine. It should cause our hearts to break for them because they don't see themselves in the need of the mercy of God. Everyone needs the mercy of God. Here's a question I want you to ponder. What would actually happen in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, let's say in the American church as a whole, if we took Jesus' words on mercy seriously? Remember when I was in Haiti, dad, first trip, I guess it's back a number of years ago. And we went and we saw this woman. She was covered with flies. She was dying. And they said, would you please pray for her? 21 years old. I had no idea what to do. I prayed for her. Going on these mission trips to third world countries, seeing the brokenness that is there. There's no way that you can describe that unless you have experienced it. Some of you that have been overseas have seen it as well. Mercy. One time I went to make a visit to a man who was in the hospital. He was shaking on the bed. His feet were hanging off the bed. He had slid all the way down. Nobody else was there. I went and got a nurse. I said, can we please pull, pull him up? Give him a pillow. 
gave the man a pillow. He almost went to sleep right there. Mercy. Do we realize sometimes that the best way to deal with our problems is not try to go to seminars, get seven steps to pull out of a dump, whatever it is, but it's to go do what Jesus did and minister to people who are hurting. It is. I guarantee you, if you act in mercy towards those people that you know are far from God, it will so give you encouragement deep down in your soul that it will pull you out of yours. Sometimes we say, well, I just need me time. I get it. We need rest. Amen? But not at the expense of ministry. So here's our action points as we bring it to a close. Number one, have you seen yourself in desperate need of God's mercy? Have you received God's mercy? If you have issues with forgiveness, it begs the question if you've ever truly been saved. There may be some this morning you say, Jeff, I know that I've never been saved. I'm just learning about Christ this morning. If you receive the grace of God, if you realize that you've sinned against Him, that you could never do anything to earn your place to go to heaven, and you receive His mercy, He will free you because here's the greatest part of when you receive God's forgiveness and His grace and you're saved. Not only do you get a purpose for life, do you have your sins washed away, your burden of guilt removed. Praise God. Amen. Sunday morning, your burden of guilt is lifted, but but you're no longer in chains to those who offend you. Because you've been set free. You see, you've sinned against God, but He sent His Son and He's freed you through Jesus. So that means it's not that you have to give mercy, but that you get to. That you don't have to be one of those people that is eaten alive with unforgiveness and bitterness. It means that I've received mercy. So praise God, I get to give mercy. And the final question is, if God gave you the level of mercy that you give to other people, how would you do? How would you do? There's an old song called Rescue the Perishing. And it goes like this, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And the refrain goes like this, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus... Jesus is merciful and Jesus will save. And the fourth and final verse goes like this. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way. Patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. John Piper says this. The key to being merciful is to be more amazed that you're forgiven than that you're wronged. Not just convinced but amazed. Amazed by the amazing grace of God that He would forgive a sinner like me so that I can forgive other sinners who have sinned against me.